Hi everyone, this is Darius Sulam from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers. Today, we are joined by Dr. Matthew Sparks. Matt is an Associate Professor of Medicine at Duke University. He recently presented his latest findings on a system of vascular epithelial in the kidney that regulates pressure naturesis. Let's dive in. Why did you mainly use female mice? Oh, well, I think I used all, in those experiments I showed you were, were all male mice. I did show a few slides that had female mice just to show that we have repeated them. But the main reason is they're mainly for historical reasons. Some of the challenges in doing kidney transplantation in female mice were readily known. And so those experiments were done on, on male mice. And I think also really the push to do mice uh, in both sexes, male and female, really occurred maybe a decade ago, right when, you know, sort of these studies were done. Do, were, were done. So we have done all of these studies on female mice and they are published. What I did show was male mice. Okay, great. Another question for you here. Did you do any studies on APOL1 subtypes in combination with the AT1B or A receptors on blood pressure? Rodents do not have APOL1. Therefore, if you were to do experiments on them, you'd have to, you'd have, to have some, some mice that have been made that have it. So that's been one of the limitations for research in, in that gene. I think it could be a very interesting study to do. Those mice are now made. Catlin Sustak basically made mice that have APOL1, the human G1 and G2, and G0, the wild type alleles knocked in. So those studies have not been done, but could be an interesting thing to look at. Absolutely. Another a, a clarification question, perhaps here. Maybe you could clarify this one. The effect of angiotensin 2 in elevation of blood pressure is mainly on. Smooth muscle, cell, smooth muscle cell action more than tubular sodium reabsorption? Yeah, I didn't show the data for the tubular knockout mice, but we see a very interesting pattern. I mentioned some studies from Susan Gurley published in Cell Metabolism that knocks out the ET1 receptor in the proximal tubule. And I think if you look at both the proximal tubule and the smooth muscle, then you almost would have absent response to angiotensin 2. Proximal tubule does have a fairly profound effect on blood pressure elevation. So it's a combination. I will also say that if you look at other tubular segments, for instance, the intercalated cell of the collecting duct, it actually has a buffering response. So if you infuse angiotensin 2 into intercalated cell AT1A knockout mouse, you actually have high blood pressure. And so the thought is that there is this mechanism by which you dampen the blood pressure response from the intercalated cell of the collecting duct, but enhance it in the proximal tubule. So not that's a long answer, but I think it's a concerted effect of both vascular smooth muscle and proximal tubule cells of the kidney. Perfect. Thanks very much. There's a lot of questions that are coming in here. So I'm going to do my best to try and get through as many as we can in the next 10 or so minutes. Sure. So here, the next question we have here. Why did blood pressure not increase in the wild-type mice, those who received the high-salt diet? That's a very curious effect. And so that's been seen in C57 black-6 mice. They are very resistant to blood pressure elevations 
even with high salt. For whatever reason, the C57 Black 6 mice that's uh, from Germany does not quite have the same effect. So like, I don't know if something has happened over time. I think for us, I think it was nice because if you have a 129 mouse, for instance, those are very salt sensitive. And so they'll have huge blood pressure decreases and increases. I always looked at it like the C57 Black 6 mouse has more of a vascular phenotype and the 129 mouse has more of a tubular phenotype in respect to angiotensin actions. But the exact scientific reasoning, rationale and reasoning for that, I don't think has really been completely explained, but it's a it's an interesting question. Absolutely. Another one here, does angiotensin 2 play a role in upgrading sympathetic receptors on blood vessels? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Definitely, it increases norepinephrine content. What it does to the receptors, I'm unclear about. So we did not look at in receptor upregulation, though. It, you know, looking at GPCR is, is a tricky business. As we know from the angiotensin world, there's really not any good antibodies to like to Western blots. So you can't do that Western blots. If you take a angiotensin antibody into a Western blot in a global knockout mouse, you'll get a great signal. Same way with many of the GPCRs, like the adrenergic receptors. And so then you have to rely on mRNA. mRNA is not necessarily reflective of receptors that are made and put on the cell surface. And so I, I think it's, it's a very challenging area to interrogate, especially in animals. I would not be surprised if there was some synergy between these two systems. I just don't know the answer to that. Well, while we're talking about the blood vessels and receptors, has your research touched on the role of nitric oxide as a mediator between tubular and vascular crosstalk? And, and if so, what does it show? All right. Well, <laughs> that was our first thought. This is a nitric oxide mediated effect. And so if you give angiotensin 2, nitric oxide is small enough to where it can, and also it can also traverse cell membranes. So like you would have alterations in that. And so what we did is, uh, we gave L name to the mice. And first thing that we saw was that really, if you would think that L name was mediating some of the blood pressure response, if you gave L name, you would see the SMKO mice, their blood pressure would go up to the same value as the controls. And you didn't, didn't really see that. You see the blood pressure at the bottom is still different. And then it's different after you give angiotin, or sorry, L name. And then we looked at MKCC2. And that was really the biggest effect of tubular change that we saw. And so we did the exact same experiment where we looked at the uninfused. We saw a difference in, in cases, there's a whole different cohort of mice. And then if LNA or sorry, nitric oxide was mediating this effect on NKCC2, you would see this difference go away. And we really didn't, did not see that. In fact, maybe widen more. So that really sort of think, well, maybe nitric oxide is not playing a role. And this was like one of the very first experiments we did. I will say that I spent probably four years trying to decipher this, this system out and came up with, you know, a lot of different potential thoughts about this. And so is it inflammation? Is it COX-2 metabolites? What is it that might be perturbing the system? So we looked through a lot of these as well. And we unfortunately could not really identify one specific target. And this is just the uh, prostaglandins that's really unchanged. Thromboxane, prostaglandin E2, prostaglandin F. That's a really good question, though. 
Yeah, it looks like a number of people have the same thought as you looking at uh, endothelial-derived nitric oxide as, as a possible way forward in yeah. there. Uh, I mean, also, one thing that's interesting is the endothelial. So there's a group that did a or AT1A receptor upregulation endothelial cells of mice, and those mice actually have lower blood pressure. So that's really interesting. It's nitric oxide mediated. So here's another question for you. Is there any role for the sodium-potassium ATPase pump? I feel like I'm just setting this up. So we did some RNA sequencing, and here's my next slide. And this was really fascinating as well, because we had several different targets to go after. RNA sequencing is tough because you see differences, but you're unclear the physiologic, physiological significance. Could it just be a blip? And so we went after some of these blips. And so you see some of the interesting one. One is TMPRSS4, which is involved in ENAC processing. Interestingly enough, TMPRSS4 is actually altered in the opposite direction than we would anticipate. Fixit 6 became a target we came very focused on because Fixit 6 can actually sort of become part of the sodium potassium ATPase. And so we really started focusing on Fixit 6. I'm not sure if I have the data for that here. Oh, here we go. Fixit 6. Yeah. Functions and altering the kinetic activity of the sodium potassium ATPA. So it almost is like sort of a cog in the wheel, if you'd say. And so that was something where like, wow, is this actually just globally altering the ability of the NKC uh, of sodium potassium ATPase to work? And so we really looked hard. It is just very low expression and really hard to localize where this was. And so we ended up sort of going down a rabbit hunt and really could not decipher if Fixit 6 really had anything to do with it. The other thing I'll say is all this is with baseline samples and not with angiotensin 2. So, I mean, that, that's a really good. And you also can see that these mice, the knock-in for SM22 is called taglin, and you can see that the taglin is lower in these mice, again, showing that the knockout is really working. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers, just like you, answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.